the whole chapter. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few verses, and I'll try to describe the context. Romans 6, we're talking about, if I, if I could title it, I would call it an unyielding and yielding Christian. We need to be both an unyielding and a yielding Christian. That's kind of the essence, that's the essence of what we're talking about tonight. Yieldedness and unyieldedness, both are needed. Romans 6, let's look at verses 13 to 19. Romans 6, verse 13 to 19. Back, back up one verse to verse 12. Pardon me. One, one verse backwards to verse 12. Romans 6, 12. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. <clears throat> Romans, the book of Romans here that you have in your lap, great book. Some have called it the Constitution of Christianity. And I'm not going to outline the whole book, but just to give you a gist of where we're at in this book. Romans, between Romans 1 and 6, there's three main subjects between Romans chapter 1 actually even through chapter uh, 7. The three subjects are, the main subject is sin, and it's broken down like this. There's the reality of sin. Paul, in the first couple of chapters, shows that sin is a reality with everyone. To the Jew, to the Gentile, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And sin's devastating to a society, and uh, even people that... Um, are Jewish because he speaks to the Jew and the person who thinks he's very righteous. Sin is a reality. Then he talks about the redemption from sin, the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, that we can be bought out of that state. We can be purchased. You know, if you are ever in a guilty of a major crime, that's fearful. I, I've only been guilty of a traffic ticket uh, a couple times, and I actually went to court one time. I tried to challenge it. And they had cameras and extra homework they did and just proved my guilt. I was like, my mouth is stopped and I was guilty before the judge, you know. So 
uh, and it, was, it wasn't a big deal for me to buy myself out of that scenario. I went to traffic school, etc. But imagine being guilty of a major crime, you know, like <laughs> for some reason you assaulted somebody, you murdered or something, some, whatever. And you're like, there, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do to get out of this. I am heading for a major consequence. Well, Jesus redeemed us from the major consequence of God. Okay? So the Bible talks about that uh, in Romans. So there's the reality of sin, the redemption of sin, and also within these chapters, there is the relationship now we have with sin. That's where we enter into chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. He just talked about the sin as a reality, and we're redeemed from it. But notice how chapter 6, verse 1 starts out. What shall we say then? Okay, you're redeemed from it. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, it's like Paul just described how, yeah, you're a dirty, rotten, filthy, hell-bound sinner, but Jesus redeemed you, and you're totally redeemed. You're forgiven, past, present, future. You're justified. You're declared righteous. And so he goes into chapter 6 saying, well, now what's your relationship with sin should be like? Shouldn't you just continue in it? woo I'm free. I'm forgiven. No matter what, I'm under grace. Paul says, should we do that? That grace can just continue to abound and stay there because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, uh, your sinning's not going to run out. Your sinning's not going to make a, uh, you know, draw too much of God's grace. It's going to abound. So Paul says, should we just keep doing that? He goes, no, 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 no. And he goes on to describe what you should do is you should live the, the life that Christ lived. Christ was lived and he was dead. He died to sin and he's alive, new, and he's alive unto God. He says, your baptism should picture that. You, you know, you're, you're dead to sin. You're, you're guilty. But in Jesus Christ, you're buried and you're risen and now you've got a new life. You should live unto God, new master. And so he describes, chapter 6 describes our relationship with sin. He, chapter 7 does too. He's, Paul, did, you know, Paul is kind of a Christian that struggled with sin. Read chapter 7. He struggled with it. He admits it. He goes, ah, I want to do this. Um, the good, I want to do this good, but some bad tells me, ah, I shouldn't do that. And some good I want to do, and, or, or some bad I want to do, and oh, man, this bad that I would like, this my sin nature wants to do, and the good says, don't do that. Paul describes how he struggled with the sin nature. But back to chapter 6, I think one key word, it's used five times, three times it's used as an imperative, is the word Yield. God's word to you tonight. Listen, yield. God's word to you tonight. Yield and yield not. Not pastor's word. You might be bored of pastor. Here's God's word. Yield and yield not. We're going to learn what that is. What does it mean to yield? What does it mean to yield? So you can talk back to me. Josh, obey has an idea of obeying. Calder, stop. It can mean stop, yeah. Jonathan. Yeah, somewhat, yeah. How many of us have been in a roundabout? How many of you like roundabouts? Nobody, it's a couple of you. <laughs> Rusty likes it. We kind of see what happens. How many of you don't like roundabouts, sir? I get confused. Oh, what am I, how, what, what are you going to do? You know, yeah, I just get like that. We had that on our vacation. I almost, did I almost hit somebody or somebody almost hit me? Yeah, it's like, yeah, we almost hit each other. When you go in a roundabout, you just, as you go into it, like, okay, wait, what are they going to do? Okay, you kind of have to yield to somebody. And um, it gets confusing. 
Just put an intersection in there. Lights, yes or no or slow. You know, just put the lights in there. But anyways, you get a roundabout, you have to learn to yield. Here's what yield means, ready? It means to give way. It means to make, it means to make something available. It's yielded, it's available now. Did you know like when you have a crop, what do they call it? A yield, it's available now. There it is. Um, it means to make accessible. It means the word translated here is, is sometimes used for something that's put at hand, right here. That's at hand. It's right next to you. How many of us guys have tools in our vehicle right now? If I, if I needed a wrench, yep, see, I got about 10 guys I can borrow a wrench from. Anybody got any Torx? Torx sockets, okay. There's probably somebody that got some in there. You know, you got a Torx available. Um, Anyways, some of us guys, we got, our, we got our tools. They're yielded, they're ready, they're available to us. We like that, you know. Yield. So, it means to make accessible, to put at hand. I'm going to just make four observations here about us yielding and being a yielding and an unyielding Christian. Four observations. Number one, it should be as instruments. We are to be yielded as instruments, as I just mentioned. The word, well, let's just look at the Bible. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God and uh, as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Okay, well, let's deal with a couple things. It mentions members. What does it mean for members here? Anybody know what it means when it says yield your... He specifically, he didn't just say you. He says yield your members and don't yield your members. What does members mean? Anybody know? What's that? Your hand. It means your body parts. When we say I'm a member of a church, it means the church is Jesus' body and you're one of the parts of it. And we're together in an actual... Geo graphical location acting as Jesus in our community. Uh, so a member means a body part. Don't yield your hand to something that's sinful or your eyes or your mind, your feet or whatever. Don't yield. So, but, it, the, the, but the idea here that I want to mention here is in the Bible where it says, where, is where it says instruments or as instruments. Your hand is a tool. This is one of the best tools in the world, if not the best. This tool's made other tools, in fact. What tool has not come from this tool? <laughs> you know? It's, a, it's an instrument. It's an implement. Okay? So, um, yieldedness is means, am I, whose tool am I? Whose tool is this hand? Is this hand God's tool? I, I told you the story one time I read it. I can't remember it. But I remember, I'm sorry, I couldn't remember the names and details, but it went along the lines of this. There were some men on a train, and um, one of the men was a Christian. One of the men was a Christian. <clears throat> and two of the guys got, were doing something on the train. They started gambling or something. Started gambling, doing some type of questionable activity, I would say. It's not just a game. They were doing some actual gambling. And the other guy was there, and he goes, uh, the other Christian was there, and the other men said, "Hey, why don't you why don't you uh, play with us?" He goes, "I he goes, I I can't." 
I can't play. <clears throat> um, I said, why not? You can play. I mean, what's wrong with you? He goes, um, I, I don't have, um, I don't, he basically said something to the effect, I don't have hands to play. He goes, you got hands right there? He goes, these aren't my hands, though. They're not mine. That's what he said. That was kind of the, the punchline. These aren't mine, they're God's hands. In other words, I'm not going to avail them to this, this questionable activity. They're made available to God, and he has other uses for them. So we are an instrument. By the way, do you ever wonder, I don't want to go off track on this, but I want to challenge us our thinking in, a, in another way, though. Uh, in regards to music, I, I try to be gracious and understanding with, with music and people's choices. But I want to challenge you with this stuff. <clears throat> it's not so much what we play, it's what's playing you. Ask yourself your music. Can your music choices? And again, I'm not diving into, and I'm not going to go snooping around your house, and because I try to be a little understanding here, but I would tell you this as your pastor, who's playing you? Sometimes I play this music, and I play this, and I play this. Well, what is, are you playing it, or is it playing you? Because I've seen music really have an effect on people's mentalities and attitudes for the negative. And it's like they are an instrument of that music. The music is not an instrument for them. So the Bible talks about the fact that we're instruments. Yield yourselves as instruments. Make yourself as a toolbox. Every day in the morning, say, God, I'm your tool that you can have at hand. This morning, my son Gideon called me up. <clears throat> Dad. I mean, Gideon could not talk to me for six months. And he'd say, and I'd pick up the phone. This doesn't happen that often, but maybe a few months. And I'd, he, oh, Gideon's called to pick up. Hello, he goes, hey, Dad, he'll go right into a conversation. <laughs> this is so funny. Like, we're already warmed up. He's funny. But this morning, he called me. It was early. He goes, Dad, you have a cordless drill I could borrow? It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> right away, yeah. Actually, he goes, no, you have a drill. He asked me if I have a drill or skill saw. I said, I don't have a skill saw here. The church has one, but I, all I got is a, um, I have a cordless and a corded drill. Which one do you want? He goes, I'll take the I'll take the quartered one. I think you have to do something more heavy. All right, you come down, come down to the house and get it. Okay. He was there within a few minutes. Goes in the house, goes in the garage, get it, grabs it, and leaves. You know. I yielded it to Gideon. I yielded my tool there to him. It was available quickly. And that's how we should be. You know, we need to be available to God. We need to be yielded to him as an instrument. <clears throat> Number two, another observation is. The positive and the negative are both needed. The positive and the negative are both needed, as I, as I said in our title. A yieldedness and an unyieldedness, both are needed in the Christian life. You need to be a very yes person to God and a very much of a no person to sin. Half the world's troubles, its problems, and woes came from a yes, which should have been no, Spurgeon said. So we need to be a yes to God and a no to sin and to self and to my selfish nature. All right, so what's the verse say? It talks about two sides of it. Neither yield, don't be yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't make your body parts a tool, an implement for something that's unrighteous and sinful. But make yourself, yield yourself as instruments to God, as those that are alive from the dead, your members, your body parts as instruments of righteousness unto God. Both are needed. The positive and the negative is needed. 
I've told you this silly example, but I think it probably helps a lot of us. Some of us have seen Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer, right? Yeah. I've heard of him. He's got, he can train people's dogs and, and everything. I want him to come over and train my kids. But uh, <clears throat> I actually I did learn a few things, I told you. Watch him. Like, hmm, that would be interesting if I try that. Psst, psst, you know, <laughs> that would be cool. But uh, <clears throat> my kids, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he has his own pit bull. And I'm impressed when I see him do this. He, he goes out with his pit bull, and I don't even know if he even has a leash on it sometimes. He'll go out with his pit bull, and his, he'll have that dog trained. That dog is yielded to him, his pit bull is. And, and he's not only yielded to him, because he's going out, and if he goes this way, dog goes this way, he goes out, stop. You know, he, that dog is trained, and he looks like a tough pit bull, man. I, would be like, I don't know if I'd want to be around his pit bull when Caesar's not around. He looks like a tough, but he's yielded to Caesar. But it's not only that he's just yielded to him, he's not yielded to all the other goofy barking dogs around him. It's amazing. He'll be running, jogging or something, and all these dogs will come running up to a fence. You know, they're barking at, and this, his dog's just like, hmm, whatever. He's not yielded to his nature that wants to go after him. Oh, yeah, let me show you. You know how dogs are. And uh, he, he's unyielded. But he's yielded. And that's how we ought to be to God all the time, every day. Be his tool. The positive and the negative are needed. Number three, it's a relationship choice. It's not just that Pastor Henry's talking about be yielded, be unyielded. This is about a relationship. You can either have a relationship with as the servant to sin, or you can have a relationship. Uh, to God as a servant to God. Look at these verses. We'll look at several, um, 16, 17, 18. But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, that is, they believed on Jesus Christ and became his servant. Being then, verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. By the way, Again, he's talking about, you're a, we are a servant. Everybody's a servant. You're going to be a servant to some entity or person, God or sin. Now, some of us have the mentality of, well, I'm not a servant of sin. I don't give in to all these temptations around me. No, wait a minute. If nobody was around you and you followed your carnal, self-centered, proud, godless nature, you're a servant of sin without anybody else around you. Sin is in us. It wants to slay us. And I can choose today to serve my sin, be a servant to my sin, or I can be a servant to God. It's a choice. It's a relationship choice. Look what it says there. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, he's trying to show them, bring it, break down an example. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, that's a word. The word iniquity means, you know what it means? 
kind of like, like, what is that word? It sounds icky. What's iniquity? Icky. It means lawless. Like, I'm not going to have any law. I'm going to do what I want. As you have been lawless and lawless, like, don't tell me what to do type of attitude. He says, as you've yielded that, don't do it. Even so now, yield your members as servants of rightness, of righteousness unto holiness. Servants of God. Whose servant are you? Ask yourself, whose servant am I really? Am I the servant of sin or the servant of the Savior? Do I follow my... Am I always caving into my my sin nature? Am I making myself avail? You know, we do, we can think of it as there is temptation out there, and your sin nature wants to run to it. I'm not going to yield to that. I'm not going to make my mind available. I'm not going to yield my mind. I'm not going to yield my eyes over here. I'm going to yield them to God. I'm not going to yield my mind on that thought. I'm going to yield my mind to thoughts toward God. Yield, yield is the word of God for you tonight and me. It would do many wonderful things. We embrace this word tonight. Okay, <clears throat> it's a relationship choice. Last of all, it's a fruit choice. What kind of fruit do you want? Listen to this, verse 19 to 22. Verse 19 to 22. Actually, we've already read some of that. Verse 19 to 22. Let's pick up on verse 21. I mean, we read verse 19 and 20. Verse 21 says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof now ye are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. He's saying, hey, listen, what kind of fruit did you have in your lifestyle just being following the impulses of your flesh and following sin, the world of flesh. And the, what fruit, what, what, kind of, what kind of fruit came of that? What kind of product? What kind of, what, it was a wonderful lifestyle, wasn't it? All the relationships were good and, and, um, and uh, your, your, your life went well, right? No, it was bad fruit, bad fruit, following my sin. That's why he says the wages of sin is death. What fruit did you have? But now when you became servants of God, Look at verse 22 again. Being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end to everlasting life. It's a fruit choice. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> See, sin is very appealing. But if we dive into a sin in our life and a sinful lifestyle, it's pleasurable for now. There's pleasure in sin for now, and you dive in. I don't care if you're a lost, a Christian or non-Christian. This is just true. So do your flesh reap corruption, believer or not. Okay? But if you dive into a sinful lifestyle, if we dive into that, eventually corruption is going to come of it. Death, that which dies and is dead will come of it. Uh, some of you have heard the example, and I, and I read about it recently. I'm going to borrow the words of Paul Harvey to describe this. Amazing. Um, the, how many of you ever heard how the Eskimos apparently kill a wolf? Anybody ever heard that story, how they kill a wolf? Okay, interesting. I, I heard this told one time. Paul Harvey told this one time on his um, radio program, his news, <clears throat> or it was probably the rest of the story. 
He said, first, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood. Get this, kids. All right, ready? All right. He coats the knife with some animal blood. He freezes it. And then he adds another layer of blood. I don't know how he does this. Like a popsicle here. He's making a blood popsicle. And the stick is a knife in the middle. Can you imagine licking a popsicle and you get to the stick? Ah! You know, this is a blood popsicle. The middle of the pop, gigantic popsicle is a knife. So the blade is completely, um, he adds another layer of blood, freezes it, another layer freezes it. The blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Then the Eskimo hunter, he goes outside, he fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up. Somehow he stations it, gets it, uh, perhaps hard between rocks. I don't know what he does, but he gets it stationed, fixed in the ground with the blade up. When a wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent, and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the frozen blood. Now that's, you know what? Wolves love the taste of blood. Now you guys like the taste of, you know, these popsicles and stuff. You think that's great. I like grape. I like orange. I like lime. I like whatever. The wolf says, I like blood. That's what he says. And he's licking that thing. Ooh, this is good, you know. He's hoping his buddies don't come. Take up some of the popsicle. And he's licking it, and he's licking it, and he's licking it. Um, tasting though, he begins to lick faster. What's this good? Faster and faster and more vigorously. Lap vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Fever, this is Paul Harvey's words. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the razor sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. Oh, wow. That's amazing. He's licking and licking and licking. Boy, he's tasting so good. It's a little warmer now, blood. He's having his own. He bleeds to death and dies. And they finally catch that rascal wolf that was terrorizing their igloos, whatever. It's like sin. Sin, this is fine, this is fine, this is fun, this is fine, this is good, this is good. The end is death. If I'm yielding myself, all my appetites to sin, if the end is death, it'll be problems, problematic. It's a fruit choice. Listen to this about in a positive note here. John Wesley <clears throat> talked about yieldedness. John Wesley Methodist preacher. He said, if I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, such alone would set the world on fire. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, was a gospel, strong gospel witness in the 1800s, early 1900s. He, was, he impressed some people uh, in England by his success. And Queen Victoria back then interviewed him and asked him, what's the secret of your ministry, William Booth? Here's what he said to the queen. I guess the reason is because God had all there is of me. God had all there is of me. He was all yielded. It was good fruit. I think of brave people that are yielded to God. Strong and... and um, Listen to this. Here's the words of a mission. I'm, I'm guessing, I didn't get a date on this. It sounds like it's about 100 years ago. Alexander McKay, missionary to Central Africa, English guy from Britain. 
Listen to his words. He's, he's communicating to some kind of mission board about he and a group that are leaving and they're going to Africa, Central Africa as missionaries. He's communicating to them. Listen to what he says. I want to remind the committee, presumably mission board, that within six months, they will probably hear that some of us is dead. Yes. Is it at all likely that eight Englishmen should start for Central Africa and all six, and all be alive six months after? One of us, at least, it may be I, will surely fall before that. When the news comes, do not be cast down, but send someone else immediately to take the vacant place. Wow. I'm yielded to God, even though I might die doing it. And if I die doing it, make sure you find out somebody else that's yielded and have them fill in our shoes. Isn't that amazing? That, that makes me think of what kind of Christianity do I have? Am I yielded to God to that extent, to discomfort, to hurt even? I need to be. Yieldedness to God. <clears throat> Let's read verse 13 together. We'll read the whole verse together, and I'll... Romans 6, 13, begin. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We need to be, this whole church should be God's toolbox right here, available to Him. That's what we need to be. And it's felt led to, God spoke to me about this the last couple of weeks. I felt led to share it with us tonight. Let's pray together and give thanks. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for the word. And <clears throat> we want to be your instrument. I do. And I want to refuse being the instrument of my sin nature. I want to refuse being the instrument of the world or the devil or my own flesh. I don't want to yield. And you put this word in here. A word that could be the key to victory for several in here that may be struggling. The word yield and yield not. May we embrace your word. Your word is what gives us victory. Ask your blessing on us as we hear it and as, that, as we be, obey it. Obey your voice. Obey your spirit. And be absolutely disobedient to the sin nature. And disobedient to the sinful calls of the world, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's take a few moments to, to, for you to pray. You, God can hear from you in these few moments. Let's Miss Sarah, play something for us, if you don't mind. And um, we have Sunday night service, and we have invitation or closing to, to let you let it set a little bit in your mind and have this truths like this sit in your mind. So take a, take a few moments to, to pray and to entreat the Lord as she plays for us.
again. Blessing to come together. Hope you enjoy some fellowship this afternoon, or this tonight. You already did this afternoon, some of you. And uh, let's say thanks to the Lord. Dad, are you able to close us in prayer tonight?